Hi, this is Trevor Jackson. Welcome to Tomorrow Is Mine. Have you ever had a problem overcoming negative thoughts? Have you ever doubted your own ability or told yourself that you simply weren't good enough? Letitia Alvarez did that for most of her life. She dreamed of going to university and becoming a journalist. And even though she achieved a strong result in her higher school certificate, it wasn't enough to gain entry to her preferred university. Unfortunately, Letitia took that as a sign that she simply wasn't good enough. And it certainly didn't help that she suffered from incredibly low self-esteem following a traumatic childhood experience. Instead of following her dream, Letitia gained experience elsewhere, pursuing graphic design and marketing. But there was still that nagging thought of, what if? Many years later, after becoming a mum and doing a lot of work on redressing all the negative energy that had consumed Letitia for much of her life, what if eventually became, why not? And after considerable persuasion, she bit the bullet and finally enrolled into a communications degree at Griffith University. It wasn't all plain sailing, with a major health scare almost derailing Letitia's ambitions. But now, as she enters the sixth decade of her life, Letitia Alvarez is finally about to become a qualified journalist. This is a story about overcoming obstacles, mental, emotional, and physical. It's about never giving up in the face of adversity. And it's about never letting go of your dream, no matter what the world may throw at you. Hi, Letitia. It's nice to see you. Hi, Trevor. How are you? Very good, thank you. I guess a heads up that we have met before, but it was some years ago, and you had just started studying comms at Griffith. Correct. Majoring in journalism and public relations on a part-time basis because I was working. I think it might have been about 2018 or so. Yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. So I went to meet with you to pick your brains on journalism and how I could get in and la, 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 la. And I said, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) There's no no future in it. It's all about citizen journalism and social media now. Go and work in marketing and PR. Exactly. And... um, I've listened to you and I've Oh not no, yet. God, you took my advice. <laughs> I'm and, no and your life interested. has been an absolute disaster ever since. That's what no, you're going to tell me. Look, to be honest with you, I feel disappointed in the journalism landscape of today. I find that it's a necessary, you know, evil. <laughs> but it's I, I'm very, very acutely aware now of the agenda setting, which I don't really like. I think that journalism really is, you know, all about representing the voice of minority groups, etc., or bringing out real critical information to the publics. I don't see a lot of that happening in mainstream media. I have to clarify, mainstream media is the problem. But, you know, we've still got some pretty excellent um, people working in the broadcasters. So I don't completely hate it, but I love the independent, um, you know, guns out there bringing truth and justice to the world. Anyway. Which is, if I recall correctly, when you were asking me for advice, that's where I was steering you. I was saying, stay away from mainstream media. Yes. There's some excellent independent no, publications. you did. You did, And actually. media outlets yeah. that if you want to do this, that's really where that's you should That's right. Be. And yeah. then you did say to me, go to ABC. They'd love someone like you. You you look, you know, ethnically different, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you look like you'd fit in. And I said, right, yes, yes. And I was well, you like, haven't got an Anglo surname, so that's, no, a, that's a good start. No, I know. Alvarez is, yeah. is very Spanish. Yeah. Um, but you were born here. I was born here. But you could have lied. 
<laughs> anything well, to get a job. <laughs> I could put on an accent. I don't know. Um, but I look anyway. I didn't pursue any roles in ABC or in the news. I, I I sort of thought, no, I'll just finish my degree and and see what continues, what what happens. But. I guess the main reason I'm here today is to share with you what has transpired since we last met and um, how I want to inspire other students who are finding it tough out there on, on many different levels, whether it be what they've gone through um, after COVID or personal issues. It's all okay. Keep going. And that's why I'm here is just to share my story so that I could potentially impact others, inspire others to take an internal look at their circumstances and not give up on their pursuit of achieving their degree. This is why I'm here. I'm keen. Let's hear it. Tell me (laughs) the story. I guess where do I start? I'll begin with the fact that I never, ever believed that I was smart enough or intelligent enough to be a university grade student. So if you had told me when I was even in high school, oh, Letitia, you are going to complete a degree, a Bachelor of Communications majoring in journalism and PR at a pretty significant level, I would not have believed you in a million years. I don't want to sound like I'm blowing my own trumpet right now, but I'm on a GPA of 6.25, which is incredibly great Mm. for someone who thought they were dumb and stupid their whole life. Clearly you were wrong about that. I was very wrong. (laughs) And all I was going to to be happy with was just a pass. I I remember putting off the whole degree, actually. I was in high school back in Sydney. I'm Sydney-born, thinking to myself, I want to be a journalist. I want to be a reporter. I really love the news. But I was such a shy student. I lacked confidence, constantly comparing myself to others. I'm not good enough. And the story just repeated itself year after year after year. So I wanted to be at UTS in Sydney. But when I did University of Technology in Sydney. Sydney, Which was my one of the most beautiful universities out there, progressive, contemporary, etc. Alongside Sydney University, but I was too dumb for that one. (laughs) Anyway, so I did my HSC. You're still an apologist for yourself, aren't you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, you've got to laugh about it. You've got to look back and go, what was I thinking? Anyway, so I did my HSC at the time, which was your high school certificate. I'm not sure what the equivalent here is. Well, nationally, it's the ATAR now. So ATAR, every, right. everyone does so the ATAR. It's all changed. So mm. it was my final exam and I thought, I'll... he's hoping that I'll get into UTS, but I knew that I wouldn't because of my self-debilitating thoughts. Also, the contribution that I made to my studies was zero. I remember being two weeks prior to the exam starting, having no dose at home and smashing and cramming in my studies. Don't recommend that to anyone. So true to my word, yep, I just passed. I, I remember just passing. Back then it was out of 500. The scoring system was out of 500. I got 380. I was glad to have passed. That's not just passing. That's a good score. It's, it's okay, but I didn't make it to UTS. So I didn't make it to UTS. And that's when the concrete idea of being too dumb set in. So I'm too dumb for uni. I'm too dumb for uni. So I'll stop there for a minute. I think I have to explain to now as an adult, I've realised where all of that negative thought was coming from too. So I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse and mental abuse as well by the perpetrator. I'm not going to go into detail, but it happened from the ages of three 
to 13. Oh, jeez. I had three years of reprieve during that time when my parents sent me to Chile, to Santiago, to study and meet my family over there. So I was sent over at the age of five, six, I recall, with the perpetrator's wife because they were at my carers. So it was such a... And the perpetrator's wife didn't know. She, I don't believe, knew. I don't believe she knew what was going on. But she always protected him and stood up for him, etc. So... And they were friends of your parents, I'm assuming, yeah. Yeah, they were friends of the community. My parents are South American, the Chileans, so... It was a very um, tight-knit community, you know, and they all loved and adored this couple because they were elderly, you know, they were almost like my surrogate grandparents that I didn't have. I have to also um, explain that my, when my parents migrated to Australia, there were no other family members that followed. So essentially it was my mum, my dad, myself. I had no aunties, no relatives, no cousins. I had no support system around me other than those people or other community friends. The local Chilean community yeah, in Sydney. Yeah, correct. Right. So there was, absolutely, it was, I was isolated, you know, and groomed from very young, very young. I mean, I still have recollections of the age of three. And then I recall going to Chile with the wife. He didn't come. So I was handed over to my grandparents at the airport a four-year-old or five, it's quite distressing. You know, I was being ripped from the one safety net that I knew, you know. Anyway, look, it didn't take long as a child to understand how safe I was in the home of my grandparents who were the most loving humans I could have ever had imagined. So thus began a new chapter in my life. Three years in Chile, I went to an expat school, um, did extremely well because my best academic years were in kindergarten, first and second. (laughs) (laughs) And then I did really well at this expat school. I retained my English, learnt Spanish, obviously, during the um, Spanish classes. But I was surrounded by all these beautiful international kids. Even the principal of the school was McPhee. His name was Mr McPhee. And his grandson, Jimmy McPhee, was in my class. And he was this blonde, blue-eyed, Scottish-looking Chilean boy who couldn't speak a word of English. It was just hilarious. (laughs) But I went to the best school, had the best education, had the best three years of my childhood, as I can recall, um, because I was surrounded by love, my family, my immediate Chilean family, cousins, aunties, uncles, everyone was there. My parents did follow. They came six months later. They had according to them, business to um, finish up and tie up here in in Sydney, well, back in Sydney, before they moved over to Santiago. So I was essentially with my grandparents for six months without my parents. So that's another sort of impact on my psychology, I suppose, as a child growing up, not really being understood for what was going on with the perpetrator, being left, you know, sense of abandonment, rejection, all those things came up for me later in later years when I look back. Anyway, mum and dad followed. We had, you know, three years there. But my mother had lost a baby son. Um, My younger brother, I was nine at the time, he died. So that was a big traumatic event in our lives. From that point, I think my parents decided that Chile wasn't going to be their forever home. They wanted to come back to Australia. So we came back, went back to Sydney Schooling-wise, I, I went. Um, I skipped grade four because I was that smart. 
<laughs> the curriculum in Chile was more advanced at the time, so I'd done all the sat all these exams, and um, clearly I was at a grade five um, in Level, terms of yeah. Yep. my yeah curriculum and knowledge. So totally skipped grade four in primary school, went straight into year five. But then came all the um, I don't know the, the the shaming the. Um, the insults. I was a kid that had been away from the country for three years. My English was more Americanized than Australian. I was so extremely shy. I mean, the first day of school, I didn't have the uniform. So my mum sent me with this really like pretty, fluffy, puffy sleeved Sunday dress with little pictures on them and like a little girl and a boy on a rowboat, long white socks, white shoes. And you're in grade five. I'm in grade five. The kids were merciless probably. (laughs) I got so teased, so teased. So I just went inward and thought, oh, my gosh, I don't belong here. And also my English, because it was Americanized, I was put into ESL, English Second Language. And obviously I wasn't as fluent in English because I'd been speaking Spanish 24 hours a day. Mm. So I was thrown into this class with students who didn't speak English at all. So I became really, uh, yeah, disturbed or just troubled by what was going on. So lost my confidence. You must have felt so isolated. So isolated yeah. and and I guess trying to work out and try to understand why this was happening at the same time. But at that age, you just don't have the ability or the insight to put things in perspective. You just go along with it. And obviously you learn, I'm not good enough. So that carried through from grade five, right through to high school, right through to that point at, you know, my HSC where I've got my 380, that's a pass, but you're still too dumb to go to UTS. So you can kiss your like journalism career goodbye and, and off I went. I became a graphic designer, um, took me a long, uh, that was a long journey in itself to find the right um, institute. I ended up going to Hornsby TAFE. After that, I became a corporate ID artist, which was great fun. Um, but I then took off to London. I lived in London for two years because I was running away from, I feel, my internal issues of what had happened to me as a child without knowing because I'd learnt how to suppress it so deep in my subconscious that I had no idea. But as well as that, my parents had a very tumultuous relationship. So they had a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of feuds in their marriage and, and I was pretty much in the middle of it. So I wanted to I wanted to be free, you know, so I went off to London. Wow, yeah, a lot to process. It makes a lot of sense. A lot to process. Anyway, I was there for about two years or so and then came back to Sydney. I then studied marketing. Uh, I did an associate diploma of um, business, majoring in marketing, but at TAFE. And I'm not putting down TAFE. I think TAFE is extraordinary. It's giving so many different people out there that don't have the means to go to university a really good pathway to get... Like yourself, yeah. Yeah, to get into something, you know, mm-hmm. in their lives. And I always knew that I wanted to be something and someone. So I did the Associate Diploma in Marketing and did really well. So that inspired me and I thought, well, great. I've got something ticking up here, <laughs> you know. So on I go and then I still kept retaining that thought of becoming a journalist or studying journalism. I always wanted to. It never went away. Fast forward to, oh gosh, in 2012, I had my son. He's now 10 years old. 
fast forward from when I had him to when we moved to uh, the Gold Coast, 2016. That's when I thought, I, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to look into <laughs> it this degree because the thought never left me. And so I rang Griffith University, spoke to a representative, and he was so lovely. He just said, what are you waiting for? <laughs> what are you waiting for? You're either going to pass or you're going to fail, you know? Just do it. <laughs> and it was such You've a, always wanted to do it. Come oh, and do it. You that's know, like, exactly yeah. right. And... Um, at the time, because I was still a fairly, you know, new mum, my son was only three, I didn't have plans to work full time at that point. So he said, look, if your husband is earning sufficient money and you don't work, you will never have to pay it anyway. So what are you worried about? <laughs> <laughs> I said, but yes, I will work eventually because I'm passionate about working as well. Anyway, I said, yep, sign me up. Let's do this. And so began the journey of my studies at Griffith Uni. The first unit I nearly cancelled and just thought, no, I, I cannot do this. You know, I remember the first peer review papers that I had to read and I just, I nearly died. It was so overwhelming. I passed the first unit. I got, what was it? I think I got a distinction. I thought, okay, well, okay, let's go to the next one. But the first Great few start. assessments, I was f- so worried freaking out I'm not good enough like all the internal thoughts what are you trying to achieve you know that that voice in people's heads in our heads is so enormous that Mm. part of the journey is trying to learn to turn that off you know we are in control of our minds not the other way around I ended up bringing the counsellor the student counsellor saying I just I can't do this (laughs) I cannot you know and she said well how did you go in your last unit? And what did you get for your last assessment? I said, I got a distinction. She said, what are you worried about? Said, I'm really worried I can't do this. And she said, I think you've got what it takes. You just have to take it each step at a time, break it down. And she gave me all these wonderful tips. And I do have to say at Griffith Uni, there are so many means of support for students, you know, different ways of studying, reading, referencing, um, psychological help, health and well-being. There's, it's, there's a plethora of areas that you can go to. So I kept going. And then, look, 2020 came, sort of over halfway of the degree and COVID hit. So we all kept going. You know, by that stage, I was confident in my abilities and, and mm. I kept striving. So... So you're doing it part time, so it's taking I'm quite a while to do this. Doing it part time, yeah. yes, because balancing mum work duties and working yeah. as well. So eventually, I did start work. Oh, okay. Where were you yeah. working? Oh, at the time, I was working at a retail food group. So I was brand manager for a couple of their brands for international, small international team. It was really good. And the way I saw it was, well, I'm an ex-graphic designer. I've done marketing. The writing, whether I'll be a journalist or not, it's it's going to help, you know, especially communications and public relations. So I was working at RFG a real tumultuous time as well. The business itself was going through a lot of um, media exposure on, on certain things. So it was a tough time, um, but then eventually I left there. I started my own business in marketing and branding and communications. That lasted for about two years. I still have the ABN, but I'm not pursuing that because not long after I'd started, the pandemic had been declared. So by then I was working three days a week at Menzies Health Institute Queensland 
So I continued to work as I was studying. So the pandemic didn't stop me. I recall a lot of young students online being a little bit distressed about it all. And I also was doing online mentoring for um, digital students at Griffith Uni. While you were a student yourself. While I was a student myself. And working. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So that was really good. I was um, involved in mentoring a lot of the on-campus students as they were moving into digital during the pandemic. So that was really good because for us digital students, it was no skin off our noses. We'd already been working online, you know, from way before COVID hit. So that was a really interesting space where I could help others. And that's empowering personally as well, isn't it? You're helping others and you're realising that you have worth, you have value, you are contributing to their success, even though you've been riddled with self-doubt for so long. I know, absolutely. And so I think when we have the ability or opportunity to help others, you do forget yourself, you forget your, your crap, you forget to feed energy into that. So that's why I like, you know, helping others and telling my story so that it can achieve, you know, impact and, and maybe some kind of transformation in others. So the pandemic didn't stop me. I kept acing my, my grades with distinctions and then I started to hit high distinctions and I'm like, okay. <laughs> Think I've got this. <laughs> We've raised the bar now. We've got to keep up here. Oh, no. So then the pressure that, you know, you apply to yourself to stay on, the, on, on par with, with the new, you know, levels that have raised. And so I've had lots of fun, you know, and a lot of stress, obviously. Um, but it's, it's really... Uh, so profound when you show yourself your own abilities you know that you can do this that you've got this I think sometimes you've got to throw yourself into deep waters seriously to learn how to get out of it and you also have to spend a lot of time reflecting on the past and work out okay well what have I learned from xyz it's not all doom and gloom so there's a lot of (laughs) a lot of processing to be done throughout the way But I think for me, the most impactful and most recently impactful adversity was in 2021 when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, gee. To add to the list. While you were still a student. While I was still a student. While I was still working. While I was still a mother. So that was, I think, the biggest wake-up call for me to stop being so self-indulgent in, you know, self-defamation. It's it's just not worth it. You've really got to push yourself to stop doing that because you're essentially hurting your own well-being. Yeah. So I had the pandemic going on around me. I had breast cancer to deal with. It was surreal. It was surreal. So unfortunately that year I did have to stop my studies. Obviously, you know, the... The treatments were incredibly, you know, long. I, I endured eight rounds of IV chemo. I endured a um, lumpectomy, so I was able to, reserve, you know, conserve my, my breast, thank goodness. Then 20 sessions of radiation after that. So you have breaks in between, but then after radiation, that was sort of towards the end of September, I had a month's break, and then I started um, oral chemo, which took me right through to... December. So chemo started on the 4th of January 2021 
and my last tablet of um, oral chemo was the 31st of December. So (laughs) one whole year of treating this beast of a disease, which fortunately for me was only, um, was early stage, verging stage one. But we were able to reduce the size via chemo. So the remaining 0.9 millimetres was taken out through the lumpectomy. Coming out of the anaesthesia, I was dreaming that I was at a condo apartment belonging to Bruno Bars <laughs> with a whole bunch of people and we were singing Uptown Funk and I was in the crowd looking for Bruno. Where's Bruno? Where's Bruno? I'm looking out for him and I was actually talking out loud. Where's Bruno? My eyes were like sort of so foggy. I'm medical staff are going, who's Bruno? Well, I saw Is that her partner? medical staff. I thought they were the party people. <laughs> So the nurse next to me said, who? I said, Bruno, where's Bruno? She went, she gave me this odd look and then I just, suddenly consciousness hits and I went, oh my God, sorry, I, I, I was The drugs are wearing off now, <laughs> reality oh, set oh, in. Oh, I want to be back in New York. <laughs> so she pulled out her phone and played it on Spotify out loud, turned back to her computer and said... Uptown Funk. Uptown Funk. Yeah, and she right. said, I just want to let you know that the cancer did not infiltrate your lymph nodes. You are... Like, they didn't go into your lymph nodes, which is a massive, massive success story for any cancer patient. I started bawling my eyes out, and she's dancing around with her Spotify (laughs) (laughs) Uptown Funk. So Fantastic. Which is brilliant, you know. Um, But, yeah, look, I stopped my studies for the one year. It was a nice break, I have to say. It was a nice break. Obviously, my priority was to survive which I did, um, and now I picked up again at the start of this year and I have successfully again completed another three units finishing off with distinctions. No, I got one well high distinction. Done. I was going to say, high distinction. how much longer have you got to go now? got three units left. Okay, all right. <laughs> so so at long last, by 2024, end. you will oh. have the opportunity to realise your dream. Yeah, well, yes, yes, and then graduation in 2025. So, gosh, it's just... I'm crawling to the end. <laughs> no, you're flying. No, you're flying high. Sprinting. This is, yeah, where I, I feel like I want to share the story because it just doesn't matter how bad the adversity is. Obviously, if it's physically affecting you, you know, you have to work out what's right or what's a priority. You need to stop certain things. But uh, anything else, adversity can just get you through some of the toughest hurdles in life. And as a student, don't ever, ever give up your pursuit to get to the end. How did you overcome those negative thoughts because they can be so self-destructive? Did you do it on your own or did you get help or how did you do it? Yeah, look, along the way I have seeked help. Um, I've I've seen psychologists. I've seen um, natural healers. I've seen uh, naturopaths, motivational, inspirational speakers. You could be talking till you turn blue in the face about your trauma, it will never go away. But you pick up um, tools and you pick up ideas and things that may work for you. So I feel it's it's like uh, only you know what will resonate with you and what will work. So out of all the therapists that I've seen or, you know, um, books that I've read, I've always taken a piece and I've kept it for myself and I've practiced it and I've worked on it. But I think one thing that 
trauma does teach you is how to be insightful. If you just tap into your insight, and that comes from, from years of practice, but everyone's got the ability to do it. I mean, we are all essential beings that are born good. You know, I think evil and being bad or falling into constant negative traps, that's, you know, you're creating that yourself, but you, your, your higher self, as some people call it, you have the ability to turn things around and it all starts with mastering your own mind. It's the interesting thing about humans, isn't it? We're the mm. only species that can actually consciously make a decision to change Ooh. ourselves. A dog Ooh. can't stop being a dog. A dog can't suddenly go, you know what, I think I'd rather be a cat. You know, yeah. it's, it's <laughs> yeah. not going to happen, right? Yeah. But humans, we have the power. That's our choice. Yeah, but I think, like, we've got a dog at home and his name's Pablo and he's gorgeous <laughs> and my partner, Michael, has only just started loving dogs. He's always been a cat guy. And he said, oh, gosh, look at Pablo. He's always happy. He's always happy. And I said, yeah, he doesn't even perceive that you love cats more than you love him, you know. <laughs> and he was patting him the other day. And I said, they're just in the moment. Dogs are unconditionally loving and they are in the moment. And so that's something that I'm really uh, beginning to grasp quite well recently. Is now is all that matters. You cannot keep delving into the past what I mean by that is if you constantly think of your past and you think of the negative depressing or the the stories that have really hurt you or the episodes that have really hurt you you're repeating that same movie and story in your head and your body's going to feel it it gets tiring after a while doesn't it it's so tiring it's exhausting and talking about it is exhausting you know like I've come across other people that say, well, how do you do it? You know, and I've, I've put my hard yards in there. Every time I saw a new therapist or someone that I thought would help me, telling the whole story again was just like, please, I, I'd rather put, stick pins in my eyeballs and tell you the whole thing again. And here you are telling, <laughs> telling me. I know, it's a hard thing, but that's also part of the process. I'm yeah. curious in, when you took on that role to support other students at Griffith, yeah. and you were obviously a mature age student, a large part of it, if I understand correctly, is mm. about moving towards online learning during COVID. Yeah. But I'm wondering how many students did you encounter who had the same kind of negative thoughts, the same kind of mindset that you had, I can't do this, I'm not good enough. Did you encounter that uh, or not? And if look, you did, yeah. how did you talk them through it? Well, a lot of our communication process was during it was through email, so it wasn't one-on-one conversations, All which right, is a okay. bit of a shame. So... Just to rehash, on-campus students moving to digital, that just occurred during the COVID pandemic transition for Griffith Uni. So I dealt with all the students coming on through OUA, I mean, Universities Australia. So I guess from where I was sitting, you know, it was the real younger student cohort that would often express fear or anxiety or bit of nervousness through email how you know I, I just don't know where to find this or I how can I get around that I don't know whether you know so I would take the time to say it's so easy here at Griffith you know and I would point them to all the right student services and always of course the counselling um, but I really spoke to them in a language and tone that was on their level never as you know a serious representative, you know, Mm -hmm. here you go, you know, without love, without warmth, you know. So Mm -hmm. I always did it 
on their level. And that's how I communicate with people all the time. I try to put myself on their level. And yeah. as a communicator, you learn that you got you have to understand your audiences. Sure. And they all differ. So always, yeah, get on their level and I try to explain to them that I've been there too. You know, I wouldn't go into depth of my whole story like I've told you today, but when I first started, I was so frightened. I even, you know, I think I even told one student I went and seeked counselling because I was terrified. But it, it's because it's overwhelming, you know. When that, goes, that goes way back, obviously. It goes way back, yeah. but even my, you know, a, a girlfriend in Sydney who wanted to do, um, to study, she just found it really overwhelming, like the 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 taking how will I do it you know I'm a mum I've got two kids I've got so much going on it's it's really overwhelming I guess for the older you are it is it's a daunting thought to change your whole lifestyle but also for younger students you know they're fresh out of school it's it's a big thing and how did you feel as a mature age student going back and I've spoken to a few on this podcast and although you weren't full-time so you weren't sort of on campus every day yeah but Going into that environment, especially when you doubted yourself for so long and mm. you'd waited forever to have this opportunity to pursue your dream. Mm. When you finally get there and you're doing that and you're so much older than most of the others <laughs> yeah. that are there, how did, how did you cope with that? What kind of feelings did you have about that? Uh, again, because you're an online student, you, got, you don't get to see oh, the other okay, students. Right you're constantly on the screen. It's a very um, isolated journey being an online student. So I, at first, used to think this isn't the same because I'm not in a lecture theatre. This isn't the same. This this doesn't mean anything because I'm not on campus. So I was even doubting my online studies then when I first started. It didn't feel real it to you. It didn't feel real, you mm. know. And I just kept going, no, no, I've, I've got to pursue this, you know. And then the more I interacted online, the more I engaged with others. So, Even though most of them were much younger than you. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, but so every time we start a, um, a new unit, there's an introductory section on our portal. So we all introduce ourselves. So that's where a lot of people share, I'm a mature age student, I'm really young. So there were a lot of mature age students as well because, again, thanks to digital, Mature um, age people can can also you know work full time or yeah, part time. It works and, perfectly for someone yeah, in your situation. Absolutely. So yeah. you get to understand the demographic a little bit more. But the um, issue with digital students as well is they feel very shy to come online and you know collaborate. So I'd always be engaging with them because I'd done the online mentoring as well. But I also found my for my own success. The more I engaged online, the more more value I'd get out of my studies. Because if I ask a question, I'm probably asking a question for 10 other students who are too shy to come online and ask it. So we're in, always encouraged, you know, by our tutors to do that. I would also jump in if, if students had questions, I'd jump in immediately and try and save the tutors time. If I knew the answer, I'd say, hey, you can try this, la, 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 la. I guess the other question is that for you, maybe just doing everything online is, is perfect. But for others, they want the reality. They want the campus yeah. experience, the full thing. Yeah. But is the ideal maybe somewhere between where you're kind of doing both? You get to do online and work in your own time when it suits you to balance your other commitments, mm. but also still having the opportunity to be on campus, campus. and engaging yeah. directly with yeah. your cohort. Look, I 
Because I worked for Griffith as well at Menzies Health Research Institute and the School of Nursing and Midwifery, I felt a part of the university or on campus physically as well as my studies. So I sort of thought, oh, this is great, you know, like I've got the physical interaction, not with my direct student or fellow students. No, but you were on campus, you were working. So you felt you were very much a part of the Griffith community. Very much, which I really, really valued at the time. Now, this year I did a unit um, just recently where I had to do a group assessment. So they were, uh, the two other students were on-campus students I was the only one on digital, so online. So that was a little bit tricky, but I, I just asked my tutor, I said, hey, is there any chance I can actually go to your lecture and, and sit with them? And, and she said, of course. Because I was working part-time, I had the opportunity to do that, and that was just great. I loved it. But when I got there, there were only the two students that I was working with and maybe another five, and the rest were all online because <laughs> since COVID. It's kind of like this hybrid version now, yeah. yeah. My son's at Griffith and he's half and half, half really. Half and half. Yeah. You're either at home now or you're in the lecture. So it's, yeah. it's all a myth for me now. I just think, no, well, we've got the choices now. But I really liked being in the lecture theatre and just feeling it for the first time, being in there with my tutor, my yeah. Um, student it's pretty cool. You go, it's yeah. So cool. And yeah. also for you, because you never thought that you were smart enough to go yeah. to uni. <laughs> if I was you, I'd be sitting there going, Finally. This is it. I'm here. Yeah. I don't have to prove anything to anyone. <laughs> I'm sitting in a lecture theatre. I did take photos. In this <laughs> fantastic university. It's in the top 2% of the universities in the world. Oh, it's brilliant. No, yeah, so you're not so photos. dumb now, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Yes. And here I am. Here yeah, you are indeed. Yeah. A survivor, but also an achiever and yeah. someone who's been able to realise their dream. So mm. once you've finished those three units, mm-hmm. what's the plan? For so many <laughs> years, you've been a student, you had yes. to put it on hold for a year while you dealt yeah. with your breast cancer. Yeah. So finally, it's within your grasp. Yeah. You're almost there. Mm-hmm. And what happens now? So that's the million-dollar question, Trevor. Um, I, I feel... My passion is in storytelling and motivational writing, even speaking, advocating. I, one thing that I've learnt throughout my whole, I'm not going to say entire life because I feel I've got another 50 years ahead of me, <laughs> knock on wood. Um, what I've learnt so far is that the biggest advocate for you is you. There is no other person, no other group, no other being that will advocate for you better than you. So... I feel that by sharing my story, I can help others. I've done a lot of self-development and coaching as well. And one of my coaches said to me, because I always said to her, I feel like I see myself talking to people, but I don't know what the hell about. And she said, well, that'll come. And then I'd say, but I'm so shy and no, I can't do it, you know. And she said, you've got to give yourself an uppercut and unleash that story because your story could help millions of people. And And I think that's true. The purpose of, of doing this is to inspire and impact people, not for my glorification. So I feel I want to write a book about my journey and, and my story and what's happened and how I've come out of it, you know, yeah. a winner. And that's what I think I'm going to be doing. That's where I'm heading. So you feel now as a almost qualified journalist that you now have the writing skills to, yeah. to write that book. It's funny because you keep saying you're shy, but you're not. You've just come on and (laughs) talked about some deeply personal issues here, about your fears, about... I almost cancelled on you, though. 
Did you? <laughs> yeah. You didn't tell me that. No. Well, I almost did this okay. morning. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought to myself, I can't share this story. I felt, who's going to find out? Who's going to criticise me? So I thought, no, you can't do this to Trevor. His, <laughs> his <laughs> no, this is not about me. Letitia, this is about you. And this I thought, but I, yeah, I thought to myself, how am I ever going to help others if I keep that box shut? Right? So part of healing, part of recovering from post-traumatic stress disorders, especially as a child, is learning how to find that safe space. And I thought to myself, I can't keep that boxed up because I'm empowering the perpetrator, even though he's far gone, Mm, dead, probably dead, rest in peace. I felt like, no, it's time for me. I need to release this. I cannot contain it in my body any longer. So I thought, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to be brave. I'm going to jump off the edge, another cliff, and I'm just going to share it. Have to. And share it, she did. That is quite some cliff you've just leapt from, Letitia. Congratulations. Wow, what a story. It's never too late to realise your dream or, indeed, inspire others in the process of doing just that. There are tens of thousands of students pursuing their dreams in this city, and many of them extraordinary, just like Letitia's. If you'd like to hear more stories from this series, you'll find them at www. .studygoldcoast.org.au slash podcast. My name is Trevor Jackson, and I'll catch you next time for Tomorrow is Mine.